0: Okay. Go ahead. All right. Hello, everyone, friends again, the multitudes out there listening to our podcast with uh, just bated breath since the last we joined you. This is Rig Radio. I am your current host, Stephen Darnell. I am here because 14 years ago, I created the rig before moving to uh, Connecticut to become the voice of the Wolf Pack. <laughs> Take on a new identity. I get this. Yeah, this intro is getting away from me. I'm going to throw it to uh, my co-host, guest number one, Avery. Please tell the people who you are. Well, I am a dashing six foot five tall black man. That's what.
1: Well, okay, that's kind of false, but I am a black and none, none, nonetheless, you I am even will give you dashing.
2: You wear the hell <laughs> of hat. You're, You're you. definitely the most fashionable of all of us.
1: That is fair. Yeah. That is a fair point. Those of you who don't know, I'm Avery. I'm Avery, a contributor. I also work for Sports Illustrated, The Hockey News, uh, Brad and Avery Hour, Avery Sports Show, their intermission podcast, and at least 40 more podcasts around the world.
0: All right. Well, that's uh, Avery. He's quite the accomplished man. Megan, who the hell are you?
2: Um, my name is Megan Fowler. Uh, I teach high school here in Edmonton, and um, I... I'm like a part-time photographer and do a bunch of writing and I'm taking a, I'm in a master's program right now. Um, all you over already have time. one
0: master's degree, let's say.
2: I do. I do. I just really like going to school. Uh, it's great. It's super good. Um, yeah. And I will stand by my statement that Avery is the most consistently fashionable among us.
0: Okay. I'll take that. I, I okay. can expect that. Some of our <laughs> <pianos> right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends, this is the Oilers Rig Radio Network, so let's start with some Oilers news. On the one hand, the Oilers are 12-4, and 4, which is good. On the other hand, they are 3-3 and 3 since last we talked, which is not terrible, but it's less good. And now the injuries are here. Darnell Nurse is out for two weeks. Mike Smith has been moved to long-term injury reserve. Slater, Slater Cuckoo Cachoo is down for an amount of time I haven't bothered to look up. Avery, how bad is it?
1: Uh, I would say it's concerning because you don't want to lose have, uh having goalie injured and two defensemen injured and we are what not even 25 games into the year that is bad news bears for this team right now and you're gonna lo- be looking at potentially Dunkin keith as your one of your first parent defensemen like that is a not a good sign right now and hopefully guys like uh, nurse and cuckoo can get back a little earlier than expected i i hope so
0: Megan, with uh, the holes in the lineup these injuries have created, we're obviously going to have to put someone in those places. What's the main thing we're going to learn over the next few weeks?
2: Uh, I think one of the things we're going to learn over the next little while, uh, with Nurse out especially, is just how... I think this is a real litmus test for the defense. Um, Because, I mean... There's been discussion on the Twitter machine about uh, how nurses contract just because they're going to miss him a lot while he's out. Doesn't mean his contract still maybe wasn't a little bit higher than it should have been and those sorts of things. But ultimately um, I think we're going to find out sort of what this defense is made of. Uh, I know um, Broberg is making um, start tonight. Uh, so that's, that's a thing. Um, so it will be, it's going to be a good test to see where they sit. And I kind of, I'm a, I don't know. I'm not super optimistic about what we're gonna what we're gonna learn.
0: Well, let me ask you this: you you mentioned Darnell Nurse and his contract. I think uh, most people who are not directly related to Darnell Nurse think his contract is a little rich. But there's a big difference between well, he's kind of overpaid, and he's not good. And I had a very nice, p- pleasant uh, discussion yesterday uh, with some people about whether or not uh, there's anyone out there who's actually saying Darnell Nurse is not good. There are. There are people out there who are saying he's not only overpaid, but not even very good. Uh, So if that's true, I guess we maybe won't miss him that much. Um, Avery, who do you think Darnell Nurse is? How good is he?
1: Well, first of all, two things can be true. The contract can be too much, but to say he's not good, come on. Don't Don't lie to yourselves here. Don't be dumb. He is a good defenseman. He is valuable on this roster. But I think Darnell Nurse, when he gets back, he is someone who can still be a 30 to 40 point defenseman. Is he a guy who, who should be getting $90 million that much? Probably not. But for people to also be out here and saying he's not a, good, not a good defenseman, like, have you seen who's put in this blue line for the past 15 years before? There has been so much worse who has been on the back end of this team. And to try and put Darnell Nurse in there, like, that's just that's just laughable.
0: That's comedy. Well, friend and rival of the podcast, Uncle Weebo, has said he is not good in any way at all. And uh, Jay Fresh, the blogger extraordinaire, got into a minor spat with the patron saint of uh, Bloggers Low Tide about uh, Darnell Nurse's wins above replacement rating, which has him in the 25th percentile. And for those of you at home who don't know how percentiles work, that's bad. That uh, That's just bad news. That's saying he's not very good. And though Jay Fresh did qualify and say he's probably better than this makes him look, Um, he would almost have to be, as that showed that he is horrible at defense and is basically Tyson burying up some points that would have been created with or without him. Uh, I'm not sure either of those things are entirely fair. I do think that Darnell Nurse's defense has always been overrated because he's so physical. People thought he must be a defensive uh, master when I'm not sure that he ever was. I don't know. Megan, how, how do you feel about any of that stuff?
2: I, well, I think that's a, a good point. I think what happens sometimes when you see a defenseman, especially, you know, get that physical, and make a big hit and those sorts of things. I think you sort of can overlook maybe some of their like actual legitimate defensive lapses because there's that sort of big spectacular uh, motion that you see. And it's like, oh, yeah, but he had to make that big hit because he was caught out of position or whatever. To me, it's a lot like the Chris Russell thing when you would watch on Sportsnet and they would talk about how many shots he's blocked. And I would always be like, yeah, but if he was better at being a defenseman, he wouldn't have to block so many shots. Um, And it's just, to me, it's kind of that. I don't think nurses may be that wildly. uh, I don't think the view of nurses may be that wildly skewed, but I do think that there's maybe something to be said for um, his defensive capabilities are sometimes uh, masked by those big hits that he does make. And he's a big body, right? And so you kind of forget that's things that he's out there doing aren't all um,
0: great. Productive. He is, I, I personally love cheering for Darnell Nurse. Like part of it is he is, he's just got all the athletic tools. Like he's so fast. He skates so well. He seems to shoot pretty well. He throws big hits. And the most important thing to me is he always looks like he's having fun. He clearly loves scoring. He loves fighting. He loves dishing out a good cross check in front of the net. Like he is, Unlike uh, Connor and Leon, who sometimes look like uh, robots who forgot to activate their emotion chip that morning, Nurse looks like playing hockey <laughs> in the NHL is an absolute blast, and I find that very compelling. But I do think that GMs find it compelling, too, and maybe get a little bit fooled by things like how good he looks out there and uh, his dad fist-pumping as he wins a fight. Like That looked rad, but I, I do think that covered up some of the flaws in his game. That said, I'm in the camp that, by my eye, I don't have any cool stats to back this up. I actually thought that he did take a step forward last year. I thought he was learning to play smarter, not harder. He learned that he doesn't always have to skate as fast as he possibly can when carrying the puck in. He can just make a neat little pass to Connor and let him do most of the work. The reason why I think he's as, if not more, effective on the power play than Barry is because he tries to do less. He just keeps the puck in and gives it to one of the three elite power play forwards we've got. So... I don't know. Someone, Somebody on Twitter yesterday told me that he's a jack paid like a king. And I'm pretty comfortable with that. I think that sounds about right. Uh, Megan, how do you feel about that? If you were to rate Nurse as a card, what card number would you give him?
2: Um, yeah, I think that's about... I don't know. I don't know Jack being paid as a king. But I would. I think that, you know, sort of two places. He's being, being paid more than what his actual value probably is. Um, except that, like, that's a tough we've talked about this before it's tough to sort of evaluate that because like i don't know the market is what the market is right and if you want to keep the guy you got to sort of you got to pay market value um whether it's actual market value or not but i think that that's probably fair that he's maybe he's overpaid i think for what he can contribute but i do think that yeah his his love of the game is something that is quite fun to watch
0: um Avery, let me ask you this about uh darnell and i'm sorry to Uh put you on the spot like this this is no worries but even the way that i just described him i was talking about his uh like raw athleticism um and then said i thought that he was learning to play smarter i realized i just played into several racist tropes that all black athletes are just fantastic oh Oh, jeez I genuinely think those things are accurate to say about Darnell Nurse. He does have fantastic athletic gifts, and I think his step forward was mostly tactical. I don't know. Would uh, Would you like to use this opportunity to call me a racist or to heroically come to my side?
1: <laughs> no, I know you're not a racist. I know you're not. Rac- I know there was not. An- I know there's no intent on saying those words on your part. know that much. But I do doing, Darnell is a. Th- I, I do think he is a smart player. I do think he does really game well at times. We I mean we saw him like in the game against um against Winnipeg. He won that two on one with him and Dreisidel. If he finishes that two on one there, that's a brilliant play for him. When he had when he had a broken finger, apparently. Apparently he's playing with that busted finger in that overtime. So mm-hmm. he is a smart player. He does read the game well. But I do agree that he is someone where, yeah, he is a little bit a little bit overpaid. But again, go back to the point of anyone who thinks he's not good is just that's just I don't really understand that because he's capable of being a decent defenseman on this team, and with the amount of the lineup, things are going to be hurting for a little bit. Like we better hope uh, Philip Broberg can get up to step pretty quickly here in North America going forward.
0: Well, I'm just gonna quickly say one final thing about Nurse before I think you're right. We got to talk about Broberg. The thing about, uh, again, let's go back to it, but his athleticism, which I think his critics sometimes underrate, is even if he's only decent, let's say maybe, let's go really pessimistic and say he's actually, he's not even a jack. He's a seven or an eight. He's capable of being an eight for 26 minutes a game. And there's a lot of other players who can maintain that level of play, but if they do it for longer than 18 minutes a game, they start to get tired. Their play starts to fall off. But I think it is more impressive then maybe it uh, sometimes gets credit for for just having the physical capacity to play at your top level, even if that isn't the best in the league, just being able to do that for 25, 26 minutes a game. Um, I think that's where we're going to see a lot of problems is I don't know. There's no one on the Oilers who's going to be able to just step into that role. So they're going to have to divide those minutes amongst whoever is left. And we might see whoever's left then drop off a little bit as they get a little bit more tired. Uh, Megan Avery just brought it up how confident are you in Philip Broberg how do you feel about that guy
2: um well I just just very very I don't know seven minutes ago saw um a uh, thing on Twitter that he is part of uh abs nation because uh Philip Broberg uh probably rivals Oscar Kleffbaum in like physique just based on the photo that I saw um and there are some people that are you know quite excited about that and i say if we're going to go based on that he's going to be our number one defenseman in like 3 days but um i uh, i think i think defense is a little bit harder to assess when uh they're not playing in the nhl i think that's a little bit harder to look at because i think being a good defenseman is a lot harder than being a good forward mm-hmm. um even if you're highly skilled uh, i think that that's tough just and i think because i think like we've touched on with Nurse, I think sometimes some of the things that a defenseman does gets overshadowed by their size or their, you know, whatever, their physicality. And it's not necessarily like smart plays. Um, that being said, he's obviously a top defensive prospect. And I hope that what's been happening in Bakersfield has been enough to sort of get him ready to make this step. And we'll see, I guess, tonight what uh, how quickly he can adapt to the NHL game.
0: I don't know. I'm not really sure. Uh, I'm looking at this picture right now. He is a beautiful man, uh, Avery. Uh, who you got in a beauty contest, Philip Broberg or Oscar clefbaum Uh I would say it's it's pretty tough because most people, like
1: people from Sweden, are never ugly. Like there's no ugly Swede. Like it's impossible <laughs> to find someone from Sweden who's not ugly. So that's pretty tough to you know say who's better between them. I think it's a hard. I think it's. Um, I'll give a slight edge to Clevon, but I don't know what is about Swedes because they all have abs that are just. 8-pack or go home. They, Broberg has an 8-pack. Clef had an 8-pack. Like, it's nuts.
0: <laughs> you know what? I, uh, I'm i looking at these photos. They're filling me with competitive rage. If we can get 10 people to prove that they listen to this podcast, <laughs> I'll release my hockey abs pictures, and then we'll see. It's me versus Philip versus Oscar. But I need to know that there's actually <laughs> someone listening. What about as a hockey player? Uh, what are you expecting from Broberg there, Avery? His, he's not um, – a nurse-style player. But the one thing that he has in common, his highlight packages are fantastic. Like, regardless of what you think about uh, his prospects, he, every now and then, will, like, skate through a whole team. He seems to like throwing big hits, even though he's not that big. Uh, what are you hoping for, for from Broberg, Avery? No, he makes a good point, Steven. Yeah, no, he's not a—he's not that big of a
1: guy. I likes throwing hits. You know, I think one thing, too. He'll, I think he'll be smart. My hope is that he'll be smart with the puck. Like, we've seen him before in Europe watching his game. He's smart on the puck. He's smart on the puck in, in Bakersfield as well. If he can just be consistent with the puck and not, you know, be a tire fire with the puck in his own zone, I think that's good enough for the next few weeks here going forward. Because watching a few of these games here and seeing the play of certain defensemen, it's been rough watching the puck in their own zone. So if he can just be not a tire fire, I think that's a, that's a win right here, I think, in a week's while Darnell and Kukur out lineup.
0: That's a high bar you're setting for. him. In some ways, he kind of reminds me of uh, Puyarvi as when he was tearing it up in Finland, he was scoring on some goals that people said, uh, well, that's all well and good, but you're not going to score that goal in the NHL. And now he is doing quite well. He's not quite yes. a point a game. He's six goals, 14 points 16 games. Playing with McDavid, but still, he's doing well. Broberg, I've seen some of the same criticisms. Like, sure, he looks great scoring that goal in uh, Div 2 Swedish uh, Men's League or even in the AHL, but can he do that in the NHL? Megan, how do you how do you think him occasionally skating through the whole team is going to translate?
2: Um, well, I don't know. Like, again, I think it's, I think sometimes it's tough to know like what you have until you actually see it sort of in game situations, right? Like we see, you can see scouting reports and you can see sort of the upside, you know, whatever the upsides and the downsides and all these kind of things. But I think until we actually see, um, what that sort of on ice production, I'm not even production. I don't think that's the right word. Performance, that's the word I'm looking for. Until we actually see it, I don't know. I, I don't know what, like, I truly don't know. Because, I think like, that's
0: a great answer, actually.
2: Because, <laughs> like, you, you think about it, you know, you've got, like, I'm thinking, like, in Montreal, or, like a kid like Cole Caulfield, right? Like, he's good. He's an incredible offensive talent. And last year, you know, maybe was, he was a bit of a flash in the pan, and then they sent him back down to Laval, And, you know, he's a little tiny guy, and he's got all this offensive upside. But, like, he's got to do some things to his game to sort of get it to a level where he can be productive in the NHL as well. And I think that's the case a lot of times when you you kind of know what you have, but until you actually see it in that high-pressure situation, you don't know exactly what it is.
0: Buffield is the great player to bring up. Here's my final question on Broberg. Is he ever going to be able to get out from under the shadow of who he was drafted instead of? I actually, I don't mind saying, I was – Fine with him passing on Cole Caulfield, who had a lot of promise, but there were some question marks there too. It's the taking Broberg instead of Trevor Zegras that killed me at the time and killed me still now. Um, I don't know who you – do you think Broberg can uh, justify his draft position, Avery?
1: Oh, I, I would hope so, eventually. If he, if he doesn't, then that would be a major error on this franchise. But you're right, like, watching Trevor Zegers, he's been a breath of fresh air for Anaheim, a team that was supposed to be doo-doo. They were supposed to be bad. <laughs> Look at them now, second in the, in the division right now. But yeah, I hope Broberg does develop into that um, kind of player that can just be justified. We know the fans can take longer to develop, but if he doesn't develop into a guy with, in which he is a consistent NHLer pretty soon, then yikes, that pick will be aging like milk on a hot summer day.
0: Megan, is there any uh, hope Broberg has to make us go okay with not having Zygris or Caulfield?
2: Well, I think so. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, this team still has Connor McDavid and Leon
0: Dreisaitl. And
2: like, you know, the, I feel like at the, you know, they're not going to be um, on the team forever necessarily, but I do think that that does soften some of the blow of, of some of those like missed opportunities um in the draft and those sorts of things. I think the one that like is always gonna bother people is probably Matt Barzell more than uh Zegres or Caulfield. I think that's the one that's gonna make people mad. Uh more so.
0: Well see the lesson there though I feel is like Barzell is obviously amazing. He would have been nice, but as many commentators like to point out at the time, well we were gonna take him anyway. We we're gonna take Eric Sinek. But Eric Sinek is still a good NHL player. Like to my mind The number one rule of first round draft picks especially is not get the best guy available. I mean, at the time, obviously, but the long-term best guy, it's don't miss. Nothing hurts you more than a bust. And we missed on that Barzell pick. And I think that's ultimately going to be the Broberg picks legacy. I don't think he's going to catch Trevor Zegers. I think Trevor Zegers will always be a better player than him. We will always look back and say they should have picked Zegers. But if if, uh, Broberg can just be a good NHL player, We'll be able to accept it. We'll be able to move on. It will always be a mistake, but it doesn't have to have been a damning mistake. Like Nuge is a great example. He's not the best player of his top 10 class. I think there's a few guys who can probably uh, say that they were better picks than Nuge, but Nuge turned into a good NHLer. So that's fine. It doesn't really hurt us. Or Adam Larson. Obviously we didn't draft Adam Larson, but he was uh, that same year. He almost went first. He was one of the other guys apparently getting talked about at first. He wasn't, Wouldn't have been the best pick either, as it turns out. But he went on to be a good NHLer. It's the the nail Yakupovs not to pick on a guy that seemed like a great dude. But those are the ones that really hurt a team. So I think if Broberg can just make the NHL, we'll be fine with it, even if uh, Zegers was better. Um, Somewhere, William Legison is uh, listening to this and screaming at his radio, wondering why we're not bringing him up. But um, ah, sorry, William, there's less to say about you. The other injury hole, is, I like I like Unwild Bill. Also, I think Unwild Bill is a fun nickname for a defensive defenseman, so uh, I hope things go well for him. But uh, the other hole is obviously being created a goalie, but so far the Oilers haven't actually missed Mike Smith that much. Let me ask you this, though, Avery. If there was a hockey game tomorrow and your life decided upon the outcome, if your team loses, you're going to be taken outside and machine-gunned into a 1,000 pieces. Wow. Ooh. Yeah, it's some really rough people that you're gambling against here. Who is your starting goalie, Principal Skinner or Miko Koskinen? I'm going to go with the young Stuart Skinner. I will trust him with my
1: life in this because I watching Stuart Skinner in the game against Winnipeg, watching him play so far, I love how he gets across the crease. He's a big goalie, but he's quick. He cuts down the angles. So I will trust Stuart Skinner with my life in watching him against Winnipeg, except for the Nick Ehlers goalie. He was a rock. He like he was able to shut down Shifley, Connor. So, yes, give me Mr. Stuart Skinner to save my life in a one-game uh, winner-takes-all affair.
0: Megan, Stuart Skinner led the AHL in wins last year, I believe, yeah. was Player of the Month the last uh, year of the – or, sorry, the last month, pardon me, of their regular season, was 946 in two games for the Condors and is 940 through four games for the Oilers. Who are you picking? Koskinen, the experienced vet, who's a very respectable 910, through uh, his games, playing in front of the Oilers' defense, or the young Stuart Skinner? Same Um, question. Avery's going to die if you get it wrong.
2: uh, (laughs) Oh, well, um, oh, that makes it worse somehow.
0: Um... Skinner is one and two, while Koskinen is nine and two. If you care about uh, wins and losses instead of save percentages, I don't have. No, I don't any think. Best I, don't think
2: I don't think wins and losses is a good metric, to be perfectly honest, in this particular case. And part of that has to do with the fact that like the offensive output of the Oilers is so high, generally speaking. Um, I think to save Avery's life, and only to save Avery's life, uh, I think I'm going to go with Koskinen. He's going to get beat on that first shot and we all know that's going to happen. And uh, the hope is that you just get a goal before the other team gets a first shot
0: from solved. I I, honestly, that's, that's fair enough. There is a lot to be said, I think for that uh, veteran presence, like Skinner's lit it up through uh, four games, but you never know when a bad game is coming with a rookie. Um Still, this is one of my big totesos for the season. As I offered, This is one of the areas in which I defended Ken Holland. I didn't like him signing Smith for two years. That was very strange. But I was fine with him not, quote-unquote, fixing the goaltending, as I think Stuart Skinner and Ilya Konovalov have both established themselves as excellent prospects, and they're 23. They're both 23. That's a good age for someone to make the jump to the NHL. So, hell, the Oilers, uh, we are right to be happy about Stuart Skinner. That leads us to another question though. What is Edmonton's most pressing need and how would you go about addressing uh, that need, Megan? Um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> any
2: of my solutions that I've ever proposed for anything, people tell me I'm dumb. So I don't know. I have, i got nothing.
0: Let's um, say the cowards hire you as a GM.
2: Oh, the cowards hire me as a GM. Well, I got, I got other things I think I would worry about uh, first to be perfectly honest, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Avery, can Avery? you answer that question, and then I'll come back. Let me think on that yeah, for a second. Let's
0: circle back to you. I'm curious what you would worry about first. Avery, uh, What uh, if you were the Oilers GM, what's the first thing that you focus on fixing?
1: Uh, you know, right now, when you're 12-4, and four, there isn't a dire pressing need right now unless you tumble down into a five-game looting streak, which would be, uh, well, that's unfortunate. But I would say right now, uh, just one thing. I would just say right now, the depth, the third and fourth lines right now are struggling right now. Like Derek Ryan is having a tough time right now. So if you you may have to look at that and see who can we call up because the metrics right now, the uh, the guys outside of the top six are just getting hemmed in right now. The past few games, so I might, I might address depth right now if I had to do anything on a
0: twelve and four team. I agree, well, to be honest, I agree with all of that, which makes for a riveting radio. But I'll just specify. <laughs> that uh, I think we've got five or six pretty good fourth-line players. If Holland were to add another good fourth-line player, I would be disappointed. Like I think Ryan, Eric Ryan's a great example. He's a good fourth-line player. I don't know if he's a good third-line player, though. Like I really think it's the third line that needs the help. So if we bring in someone, I hope they are of at least middle six quality. Um, If the Oilers wanted to get nuts, an option would be, play Nuge and Dreisaitl at center and move someone like Fogel up to uh, the top six left wing. Um, I don't know if you come out ahead in that, like what you lose in the top six might not, or sorry, might be more than what you gain on the third line. But if they feel the depth is a problem, then that would be one way to do it. Uh, I get the impression that's not the way they're going to go. I don't know if that's because Tippett just enjoys outscoring his problems or if because the, the Core players have uh, made it be known that they want to play and score together. Um, I find both of those uh very plausible. Um, Megan, have you had time to figure out what yes. uh okay, yeah. Me.
2: And then, and then, you what you said about moving nudes down to the third line um got me thinking. We were having this conversation yesterday at work about the Jets, yesterday, the day before. I don't know, anyway, it was just people that I work with. We were talking about the Jets and we were talking about how. It's not that they have the same skill level at center that, uh, say, the Penguins did when they had Crosby and Malkin and uh, Jordan Stahl. But having, like, three pretty solid lines has done really well for them. Uh, and I was sort of think that maybe addressing, I think, like you said, addressing that middle six depth so you have somebody that can slide up and down between the second and third line. Because um, it's good to have a good fourth line. It's good to have a good second line. But that third line, I think, on lots of teams kind of gets um, – you kind of have like a one a two and like a four and a four a on a lot of teams and having like an actual legit third line would probably be um, a good change to make. But I do think the thing that you need to do more than anything, I think is work on the defense. I, I think the goaltending generally speaking is probably okay. Um, but I do think that uh, working on, on that defense and making sure that you've got, somebody not necessarily who can slide in and take over 26 minutes a night when someone gets hurt, but maybe someone who can, you know, bump their time up to like 20 or 21 um, from like 15 or 16 would probably not be a bad, uh, would not be a bad acquisition. That would maybe be what I would do. I would also like clean house uh, in terms of like front office staff and a whole bunch of other things and, you know, make things better. But on ice, I would go, I think I'd probably start uh, trying to find somebody to play on that top pairing.
0: Or be able to slide
2: up from three to two or something like that.
0: That that. That works for me because while the forwards aren't perfect, especially the third line, I do think the forwards are good enough. I don't think the defense is good enough. Even with a healthy nurse, I don't think this defense is good enough to make it past the second round. Um, I might be wrong on that, but my priority would be the defense. But for both the defense and the forwards, I hope they take the same tact, and that is not to bolster the bottom end. Like the Oilers, do not need help on the third pairing; they need help on the second. They do not need help on the fourth line; they need help in the middle six. And the answer, the reason, and forward is just what you mentioned. If they were to add another defensive third liner like that might help but if they were to add someone good enough to play on the second line all of a sudden they'd have the option of going with three scoring lines which would be it's not even that you have to do it it's just nice to have that option available um and the same thing with the defense uh if they add like ben sherat has been rumored and i think he's okay at uh, what he is but if they were to aim a little bit higher that would give them some genuine options for mixing up uh the looks for having multiple pairs that can move the puck uh to multiple scoring lines like i just hope that they aim high or at least higher than uh, has been rumored if they if they decide to make a move but i'm just gonna add i agree with avery there's no rush to do it right now last year i was really pushing them to make to address their needs far ahead of uh the deadline because I don't know, in some ways you think, why not? But this year it's a little bit different for two reasons. One, they are clearly good enough to not just make the playoffs, but to almost certainly, well, no, that's overstating it, but to probably get home ice advantage in the playoffs. So the difference between fixing their problems now and in February, I'm not even sure what the upside is, and the prices might are almost certainly going to drop between now and then. But the other reason is there's a chance, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but there's a chance that Philip Broberg, is right now a second-pairing defenseman. I don't think that's going to be the case, but let's at least check it out, see what happens before we commit to anything. There is a even more real chance that Dylan Holloway can play on our middle six, or Ryan McLeod might figure it out and be a middle six forward. Um, I don't think that the team has a ton of faith in uh, Benson, but sure, stranger things have happened. We've got a few kids. We can... We can wait a few months to see how things shuffle out and really move forward with confidence because there's not... The nice thing about this hot start, even though in some ways I think it was a bit of a mirage because there was a lot of weak teams mixed in there, I do think they're a good enough team that they don't need to have a huge sense of urgency. They can at least wait till the deadline and be really certain before they make any moves. I don't know. Uh, Avery, is any of that crazy to say?
1: No, not at all, not at all. I mentioned um, Dylan Holloway there. He is someone who I think... Will definitely be that, um, that a, 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 a center who will be an impact player pretty soon because I want to see I want to see how much more his game will develop in college hockey. I know he's been hurt. I know he's with his thumb injury, but I want to see how much more he can develop in college hockey because when he's healthy, when you saw him playing healthy last year, he was certainly fun to watch at Wisconsin.
0: Yeah, well, he had an incredible uh, season last year. For you uh, kids at home who weren't following Dylan Holloway. He was a runner-up for the Hobie Baker in only his uh, second season of uh, college and scored 35 points in 23 games, playing with Cole Caulfield, which helped, and I'm not even sure. I believe they were not line mates, if uh, memory serves. So he absolutely tore it up. Um, not to contradict you, Avery, but I believe he signed a pro deal at the end of this season. So when his thumb heals up, he's oh, he I mean, in he the NHL. He did, yes. He, yeah, he's a, he's a pro deal now, yes.
1: Yeah, so he so can all –
0: He's out of college. He's going to hit the farm, and he is still 18. He's only 18, mm-hmm. and he was a mid-first-round draft pick that some people thought was a little bit of a reach, so I don't want to put too much on him, but there is just no denying he had an incredible draft-plus-one season. So, again, I don't, I don't want to put eggs in his basket, but I don't want to overspend addressing a need until I find out whether or not we have an internal solution. Um, Megan, anything else to say on the Oilers before we go around the league?
2: No, um, just the only thing I was thinking about, I was watching, um, I was watching them play on uh, Thursday night, um, went up for some beers and some people from work and the game was on. And, um, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was watching them is that like as much like the, what, what are they now? So they were like 11 and four at the time. They're 12 and four now. Um, did they play last night? I don't even know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, I was thinking about how at some point in time, they're going to have to figure out how to not win games by scoring five and six goals, right? Because they ca- they're not always going to be able to do that. And I do think that at some point in time, that's going to come back to bite them, especially as they start playing around the league a little bit more and play some of those uh, other good teams that they haven't encountered just yet. Uh, I think that's going to become sort of an interesting test. And especially if any of that takes place while they're dealing with some injury issues and that sort of thing, I feel like that's going to, that 12 and four record is going to settle a little bit and we'll kind of see where they where they really are. And I, I think that'll be an interesting thing to sort of watch.
0: I'm inclined to agree as I, they already, they've a, defensive specialist coach and have for the past few seasons i don't know what's left to figure it out i think at this point they need to if there's a problem it's probably with personnel i want want to i just want to mention they've only won two
1: games all year by a scoreline of two to one every win they've had this year has been around the you know five four games five three uh six five yeah they've only won two games
0: two to one so far Good. Nothing makes me love the Oilers more than that stat. It would just be really neat if they won the Cup and that was what teams started trying to imitate. Um, although that doesn't really make sense because it's not like you can imitate getting Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl, and then having Nuge as the third best player on your power play. But still, that is uh, awesome. I hope that they add help to the third line and I hope it's more scoring help as opposed to a defensive shutdown guy. Although, that would work for me.
2: Although I think winning games uh, five two is better than winning games five four, I think generally, like it's still a win. But I yep. do think leaving that little bit of a gap between uh, yourself and the team that you're playing, I think in the long run, uh, there's a little bit less to be maybe worried about. Whereas if they keep winning games or like overtime wins and things like that, at some point in time, the luck's going to run out.
0: That's true. <laughs> yep, you really are a master student. That's that just sounds correct. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's go around the league okay last last week or two weeks ago last episode we talked a little bit about ethan Barron, how great he's doing let's follow up with another former fan favorite this one um i i think he was still a controversial but there was l- slightly less enthusiasm for him caleb jones has finally come back from injuries played one game with the hawks um, uh, during which he played nine minutes uh avery who is caleb jones
1: who is Caleb Jones? You know, that's the one thing, like, that's a question which we, even Edmonton, we don't really see a bunch of Caleb Jones. Like, he didn't play enough for me to really get a true gauge on him. But I know he is someone, he is a two-way defenseman. I think if he if he can stay healthy in Chicago, he's a two-way defenseman who's, who can move the puck a little bit. If he can reach up potential as a Blackhawk, I think he'll have a long career in this league. Um, I, I, I think, I think he has, there's more upside to him right now than his brother, who's going to be on Seth Jones right now, is in that spot where that contract looks just like a massive albatross. But I think right now, Caleb, he can stay healthy. You'll see him have a great career as a two-way defenseman who can have a nose for the
0: net. Yeah, Jones was an interesting guy because there was some very uh, hip, cool, popular with the, the smart kid fans who felt that he maybe was a top four defenseman already and that he was getting shafted by the coach. Um and then there were some other people who, obviously, such as the coach, who did not feel that. Uh, Megan, what, where did you land on the Caleb Jones debate?
2: Um, I think that Caleb Jones wasn't as isn't as good as the people who really liked him think, but he's not as bad as the people who uh, didn't like him think. I think he sort of. I think the reality of Caleb Jones falls somewhere in the middle, and I think Avery's right. I think he has the potential to become a pretty good two way defenseman. Um, but there were lots of people who were really upset with the way that deal went down because he's cheap ultimately, right? And so if you're going to spend, if you're going to, I don't know, if you're going to spend money on a defenseman, why would you spend $5 million when you could spend, you know, two uh, or whatever? So like, well, again, 750
0: K is what he was, yeah, I know
2: he was like, he was, I know, I know he was on a, on a very much on a value contract for sure. Yeah. Um, But I, I think that like, I think that the people that really were the, the, the detractors on that deal, I think really saw some really big potential in Caleb Jones and I don't know if it's necessarily there but I also don't think that he's terrible right I I feel like his real value is somewhere in the middle of that and I think ultimately I think being in Edmonton wasn't going to be a good fit for him in the long run so it's probably better that they got that he's out now rather than another year or two I think
0: yeah, I uh, I strongly agree with you. I think value contracts are how you win, so I would have liked to have kept him around because even if all he is is number 6-7, that's a great price for a number 6-7. But uh, And I think that he does have a higher ceiling, and there were some stats to indicate that, but I think there were some other stats to indicate that he was not that good. The stats contradicted themselves, and some people, I think, were in denial on uh, the arguments against him. So I'm really watching his career with a lot of excitement. Just to see who ends up getting the toe so out of that because it's it's going somewhere. Um, as some people took some very strong opinions on Caleb Jones. Um, on the note though, of I'm um, I said we we're done with the Oilers, but a good follow-up question on Jones is which historical Oilers trade haunts you the most? I'm not talking about like a, a Taylor Hall or a Doug Waits or somebody who was already established. I mean, when they traded a young guy that you're like, no, it's a mistake, I believe in that dude, and then you turned out to be right that uh, that dude went on to become a great player. Is there any historical Oiler prospect that uh, really haunts you? They gave up on too soon, Avery. Ooh, they gave wow, they gave up too
1: soon. Uh, you know, I would say it was a little bit. I was a little young for it though, but I do know about it. I would say the Oilers dumping Mira Shatan. That's yeah. a deal that I think the Oilers, in in longer, they had kept him. I think that could have been a hold if he could have added to that team as the gritty 90s Oilers. He's someone who should, they should now delve to Buffalo. Look at, at Statson with the Sabres. He became one of the faces of that franchise. If they kept Shatan, if he was playing with the Oilers with the guys like the Waits, the Ryan Smiths, you know, and you could say if he stayed until days of, you know, the Bill Guerin, et cetera, et cetera, this team could have had a, a, a bit of a different future in the early
0: 2000s, I think. Yep, he went on to play a thousand NHL games and uh, was a 60, 70 point player for about seven seasons. So that is the uh, quintessential pick. Megan, are we uh, missing another obvious one? Um,
2: that's a good. I don't know. That's a good question. I keep thinking about Alex Hemsky a lot. Uh, whenever there's sort of that, like you know, we talk with Oilers and with a little bit of regret. Um, like, I know they were out of the playoffs and whatever. Like, I get it. And he was valuable at the time. Like, I, I understand sort of the business end of the deal. But, like, I don't know. I kind of wish. Uh, I kind of wish that they hadn't have made that deal. Uh, I don't remember um, what we got for that. I think it was, what, t- two draft picks, a fifth round and a third round pick? Like, I don't know. That yeah, panel? Probably about, right? not. Um I don't know. I, that's the one that I can like, I just keep coming back to because I wish, I wish for Hemsky's sake the Oilers had been able to do better for him because for a long time he was sort of like the heart and soul of the team. Um, mm-hmm. And it might have changed some things, but also like, uh, yeah, they were just hot garbage then too. I don't know. I don't know yeah,
0: he was one of the funnest players I've ever watched in my life, period. But yeah, the timing mm-hmm. for him was just all wrong and he couldn't uh, it, it, it yeah. still haunts me even now. What about the other way, Megan? Is there anyone that you ever really believed in, and uh, turned out that they were in, nothing happened with them?
2: Um. Oh, that's a good, that's an even better question. Um. But you know what? I'm gonna circle back actually to that question. I feel like the Jeff Petri deal was something that i kind of regret mm. a little bit. And yeah. should be regretted, um, and I see that every once in a while, when I watch the Habs and I see Jeff Petrie do something good. I'm like, oh, I wonder how much it will, like what it would cost to get a guy like Jeff Petrie. And then people get very upset. Like he played here once. I'm like, I'm well aware. Um, that's <laughs> one that I, I feel like oh, that I feel like we people should should be a little bit more upset about because um, he he turned into what he was supposed to turn into. I think it just took a little bit more time. And again, it's that like. It's that defenseman thing, right? Where defensemen tend to take a little bit longer to develop. I don't know what the ceiling is. Is it 250 games? Is it 500 games? I have no idea. But there comes a point where with defensemen, you got to have a little bit of patience. And I kind of feel like maybe we didn't.
0: All right. Avery, is there anyone you've ever been tremendously wrong about?
1: Petrie
0: is the quintessential pick, by the way. But uh, those are two, two good. I got a real hipster one coming here. But go ahead, Avery. Anyone that you were wrong about?
1: Wrong about? Oh, I, I would say the, the Justin Schultz trait Because Justin Schultz was someone I thought, I thought he was, wasn't really going to pan out. And what does he do? Goes to mm-hmm. Pittsburgh. Is a great contributor. Wins a couple of cups. It's like, oh, okay. I guess it was just it was just Edmonton here. Like, he worked out well for the Penguins and vice versa for him. He got, he got a
0: Norris vote that one year. Yeah. I was
2: going to say, please correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't somebody vote for him for the Norris Trophy? Just someone like,
0: did. Just someone like we did. were
2: told he had Norris potential?
0: I would be amazed if that pick was not highly motivated by someone remembering that Mac T quote and trying to have a good time with their fifth, fifth overall uh-huh. pick. Uh, yeah, it is a great pick. Justin Schultz might be the most frustrating player I have ever watched. I really, really, really did not like him, which hurt because he came in with so much. He didn't just have that college hype. He had that amazing lockout farm team season with uh, with mm-hmm. Hall Nuge and uh, Everly. I yeah. was psyched for that season. And he had uh, good skating and good stick handling, but he he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything well. He um, didn't wasn't especially good at getting shots through. He didn't shoot especially hard. Um, he certainly didn't defend especially well. I had no idea where his NHL career would come from. And uh, he seemed to sure show me because he found one as soon as he was on a good team. So I think that's a good uh, kind of a reverse pick, a guy thought that you thought would be bad, who was good. I really thought Martin Marincin would uh, turn into an NHLD, and he kind of became the king of the Marlies for a few years, but uh, yeah, he, he didn't turn out into so much. But here's my hipster pick, the guy that it really hurts that uh, we gave up on too soon, Tim Thomas. Tim Thomas was signed by the Oilers in 1998. That's uh, right. He went straight to Europe. He didn't play any games for us, but he was technically an oiler. Um, and he like just left as a, a free agent after some time in uh, Finland, I believe it was, or Sweden maybe. But uh, yeah, it's a real shame that we gave up on that Tim Thomas guy. As mm-hmm. he, he turned out okay. I don't know. I was going to say a future Hall of Famer. He didn't really get started until he was in his mid-30s. So uh, his Hall of Fame case will be an interesting one, especially since he's such an interesting character. But, uh, yeah, no, I, he won a cup, won a couple of Vesnes. the yeah. best goalie in the league for a while.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Yeah, well, you
2: know, I was... I'd, forgotten, I'd forgotten about that. Back in the day when uh, yeah, the Oilers did things like that and also traded for the rights to Brian Leach, you know, things like that.
0: Yeah, I, I know, love that. I what, uh, to. Rights, to, rights to is great. Um, okay, Avery, you brought up the Anaheim Ducks earlier and how they may actually be for real. Who the hell is Troy Terry? Who is Troy Terry? Who is Troy Terry?
1: Well, he's a man with two first names, first of all. Yep. So that's, you know, that's a bit, that's a bit questionable. Always a dangerous sign. <laughs> uh, he, he's been with Anaheim for the past five years, but this is really his first year where he's really getting a chance to shine fully. He's got seventeen games, and he's been a part of a team. Like, the Anaheim Ducks, like I said earlier, we're supposed to be awful. They are supposed to be where the Kraken are right now and they've been led by uh Troy Terry, Adam Henrique, uh Troy Ziegris, a young, youthful team that put supposed to put the puck in the back of the net with him leading the way. And he is someone where, you know, when when Ryan Getzlaf does call the career when it's all said and done, I think Terry's got the ability to be one face of this franchise in 2020 2025, I believe. It,
0: I mean, it's sure looking that way. He's got 22 points in uh, 17 games, 12 goals. He's in the NHL top 10 scoring. Uh, he's never shown flashes of this before, though. I don't know. Megan, uh, have you been following his season? Has it, has it caught up with you yet?
2: A little bit. I haven't watched much hockey outside of the oilers when I do watch anyway. But, no, I keep seeing stuff about him, so I figured there was something probably to pay attention to. He's uh, – I didn't realize he was as old as he was. Uh, I think he's 24. Um, he is. Yeah. And I didn't realize that he was that old. And then I looked him up and I was like, he played in the Olympics in uh, South Korea and you know, in, in 2018 and, and whatnot. So like, he's very clearly got, um, some pedigree, but what's been interesting, I think there with, with the ducks, like Avery has said, uh, they were supposed to be really bad and they have not been, they haven't been at all. Um,
0: it's uh, actually helps when been you've kind got of fun. Dallas Eakins steering you. That'll take you places. <laughs> you know,
2: maybe, maybe it's maybe it's just encouraging. You know, more vegetables in the diet. I don't know. It's one of those things. Um, but no, I think uh, I don't know. I think the Ducks are an interesting team, and I think Troy Terry's got probably more upside than a lot of people probably expected. Because like up I, until this season, he'd only played um, 129 games in the NHL
0: over yeah. four years. And he looked like an NHLer, but he certainly never looked like a top-liner. Yeah. It is worth pointing out, he's shooting 28% right now. So, right. I will be... I'll, I owe you a Coke if he finishes the league in the top 10 uh, scoring. That would uh, sure be something. But, um, you know, he's getting assists, too. His on-ice shooting percentage is 14, which is high, but not that high. Getzloff has gotten into the rejuvenation machine. That's clearly helped him. Uh, so... I I don't know. I don't know if the Ducks are as good as they look right now, but uh, looking at their roster, they've got a lot of good young forwards and I think their decor is pretty good. Also like Menholm, Drysdale, Manson, Fowler, Mahura, who I don't actually know much about him. Shattenkirk that five out of six of those guys seem at least. Okay. Mm -hmm. They got a good goalie supposedly. So I don't know. Troy Terry is who he looks like, but the Ducks might make the playoffs.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm just looking here. It's, uh on even on like NHL.com on their stats page with him. Like over the last two, last five games, he's averaged about 19 and a half minutes, which is pretty good.
0: Yeah, and um, like Gibson, after two, like seems to be universally agreed to, upon to be one of the top five goalies in the league. Uh, two really bad seasons where he had save percentages of 904 and 903. That is just not very good. You've um, mm-hmm. so. Maybe his team was giving up just an outrageous number of scoring attempts, but uh, that's that's not very good. But this year he's back to 926 in 14 games. So if they can keep getting that, that's obviously a pretty big game changer right there.
2: Absolutely.
0: All right, who else do we have to talk about? Uh, what is a slew foot and does P.K. Subban do them all the time, Megan?
2: I don't think he does slew foots all the time, but I think I I will give him the benefit of the doubt where he talked about how he's let some bad habits creep into his game and that's something he's got to work on. I don't think he's, like, doing it necessarily intentionally, Um, but I'm also not going to, like, you know... I'm not going to defend him to the death or anything. Um, did you but I don't see think that
0: it's... highlights package of him just like doing... Yeah, I, you know, what? I
2: did. I did see that. But I also think that we have to be careful when we look at things like that because it's very easy to look at something in isolation and be like, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe he's getting away with this. When, like, it's very easy to make anything look like what you want it to look like if all you do is cut out. If all you do is show, like, the, the exact moment that he makes contact. It's pretty right. easy to make... Without any context on any of those things, I don't know how many how much of that is retaliatory. I have no idea, right? So I don't. I, that's a hard thing, I think, to judge. That being said, now that it's being talked about, maybe PK should stop doing the things that he says are bad habits and just start playing better hockey.
0: That's Avery. You got thoughts on uh, what a slew foot is, and if the Subban do them all the time, or are those the kind of plays that we could like isolate from any player? I think more players do than you think, but I would agree that PK is is a, is, a bad, is a thing that
1: has to be cut out of his game because when you see a slew foot, like when you see a player go back like that, I cringe because the minute a player's foot gets kicked out from under them, they can they can easily, that's an easily have a, a torn ACL, a torn MCL, a torn tibia, a torn fibia. Like you go back on your leg like that, and you can't brace yourself. Like that's disaster city waiting to happen. So I agree. Hey, he the thing has to cut out of his game. Because I think it was Assayan Blaze. He got hurt. He has a 20 scale. He's done for the year. That was an unintentional play. But again, that's the thing where PK, you know, it's a habit. Is he dirty on purpose? Absolutely not. No. He's not a dirty player. He never has been, never will be. But I agree. It has to stop before, again, someone else gets hurt. Before he, uh, uh, he gets he get suspended for possibly five or 10 games. But knowing, but knowing that they had discipline now, knowing George Perros, he might just get a fine of like 35 cents for all we know.
0: Yeah, well, God knows what else is going to do. Like, I actually didn't think the one on Blaze looked on purpose, but he's also injured uh, Zegris. Like, that's two guys this season. And I yeah. believe uh, Reeves in the preseason, if uh, I'm remembering correctly. Uh, yeah, it was in the preseason. Yeah, Ryan Reeves, he took down two of the same slew foot. Like, if uh, whether I can't, I'm, I can't as confidently say as uh, you guys are that he's definitely not doing it on purpose. But I will say, I do agree that these things can just happen. Like the one that, um, I'm drawing a blank on, uh, I bl- no, it wasn't Pullman. Someone got suspended for another one this year, which I thought was more defensible as potentially an accident than, um, at least the the one on, uh, and, and Reeves. So a, I definitely don't know what, how the league is deciding these things but b, I do think that, yeah, you could probably follow a lot of hockey players around and, Show clips of them doing something that looks bad. That maybe it's the kind of bad thing that everyone accidentally does sometimes. That that compilation clip was was quite the track record, though. Like if if Subban is doing it by accident, he's going to have to start deliberately not doing it because he is definitely under the microscope now. Uh, I like it when fans are actually able to make a genuine impact on the game, and whoever put that uh, compilation package together, I think they're doing just that. As did whoever. I think it's the fans that are turning Connor's not getting any calls into an issue that is actually getting uh, talked about in mainstream news. Maybe I should have brought that up during the other section, but uh, do you have any hope that the uh, league is going to change the way they ref, specifically the way they ref stars, um, Megan? Is that's getting, that's getting talked about in more respected uh, corners than it had been a month ago.
2: Yeah. I, I don't have any real hope that they're going to change anything anytime soon, but I do think that like over time, if it keeps getting talked about, they're going to have to, right? Like I read something earlier this week, I think it was earlier this week about how you can't call the rule book because it's too complicated. I'm like, well, then let's make it less complicated. Like if to me, that's like such a, that's such a terrible cop-out. It's like, if the rules are, are too complex to call on in a game that's played at the speed that it's played, then perhaps we have to do something about the way those rules are written to make it a lot easier to make those calls.
0: If, do you have a concrete, like, what's your your suggestion then for that? Like, give me an example well, of how you might fix a rule.
2: Well, I just, I, I mean, I've read parts of the rule book and it's very much written in, like, legalese, right? Like, it's even the, just the way that it's written. So, like, I think some of the language ultimately needs to be simplified as to what certain things are. I also think it would be very, very useful if for everybody who's watching the game, because, like, here's the thing. We talked earlier about how Darnell Nurse, some of his defensive lapses get sort of concealed by his physicality and that sort of thing. I think sometimes when you have a star player like Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby or an Alex Ovechkin or whatever, who's pretty strong, right, can, can kind of fight off a lot of what comes their way. I think sometimes the the infraction that we end up seeing, especially on television, and I think it looks different on TV than it does in person, I think the infraction that we end up seeing on TV – Looks a lot worse because the player who's being, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is attacked. Assaultful. I, well, I one. <laughs> sure. Um, Physically yeah. So, but,
0: non-sexually so, again, molested.
2: So the player, oh, attacked ultimately is. You can look it up.
0: It just means bothered.
2: It's true. Um, so the player that's being that's being attacked is, or who or isn't drawing the penalties, as, as the case sort of happens to be it tends to look worse because they've done such a good job of like fighting off the other player. Right. And so, yes, maybe it looks from the television, like it's an inter- it should have been interference, but like, maybe it's not. And I kind of feel like having more concrete examples of what those things look like and what it actually means, I think helps to sort of define that. And I do think part of the problem, especially when fans are watching on TV Uh, I think slow motion replays make it a lot easier to be like, oh, that should have been. But when things are happening at real speed, it's really hard to catch some of that sometimes. It just is.
0: I agree that it is. uh, Actually, that's the part that I'm really going to lean into and agree with strongly. I think uh, the amount of controversy that remains even after calls are replayed, um, like goalie interference, it's very clear that no one knows what goalie interference is. And I'm not saying that the, the refs of the league are even getting it wrong because the amount of arguing that happens on Twitter, like you need to take the fans out if you think they're ignorant. The amount of pros uh, and former pros and former coaches who are working uh, on the broadcast are like, I don't understand what that call was. That doesn't make any sense to me. That shows, I think, that the hockey... Reffing specifically is just wildly subjective. It is probably has the most subjective rules of any major sport. And here's where I think I differ with you, Megan. I don't know what we can do about that. I think that is the nature of hockey. Like what define a hook, define a slash as opposed to that like an illegal one, as opposed to the kind that, well, that's just defense because we we're not trying to have 11 nine games here. We still want people to be able to check, well, okay, where do you draw the line? I think uh that is. Inherently subjective. I don't think there's a ton to be done about that. So like the fact that some of these calls aren't clear, uh, what's a call and what's not doesn't bother me. What bothers me is I feel that there's a very different standard for different kinds of players. And one of the main reasons I stopped watching the NBA was I didn't like how fouls work differently for star players than for everyone else. I don't want the NHL to move towards that. I don't like even in the NFL how there's clearly just different rules and what kind of contact is allowed for different positions and different levels of stars. I like everyone being treated the same. But right now the NHL treats their stars significantly worse. And it's not even just the NHL. I think most of us who play beer league will agree in beer league. You are just allowed to do things to the best player on the other team that you're not allowed to do to their scrubs. Uh, it's a weird part of hockey culture that I don't love. I don't want stars to get special treatment, but I don't understand why it's legal to trip Connor McDavid half the time. Or even right now two-thirds of the time. Uh, Avery, how do you feel about all this reffing and subjectivity and replays? You know, it's a good point. Hockey, there really isn't a place like like
1: interference. It's so subjective. It's tough to really try and wait uh, do a way to fix that. But I agree. Like, people say, "Oh, do you want me, David? To have, you want me, David, to get special treatment?" No, I want him to get normal treatment. Like, yeah. call a penalty when he is hauled down. Call a penalty when he is hitting the head with a steel chair. Like, the, the pain. This, is, at the end of the day, hockey is entertainment. People want to see the star players do their thing. They don't want to see. They didn't pay the hard-earned money to watch Neil Pionk tackle, um, you know, McDavid or Drysidle or any of the younger stars like a a Matthews or a Marner. We didn't pay to come to see that. People come to see the young guys who are helping put money in the pockets of Sportsnet, TNT, ESPN, do their thing. And when you're letting third and fourth pairing defensemen and a fourth-line winger, you know, harass these guys, then You can't complain when your ratings are low or you're the fourth-tier sport in North America.
0: The thing that I think might fix this, and this is definitely mixed uh, in terms of being good news or not, is gambling. The reason why the NHL is by far the most chaos-influenced sport. like You can pick the winner in football if you're just trying to pick the winner most of the time. Hockey, even if the best team in the league is playing the worst team in the league, the worst team in the league is going to have like a 40% chance of winning, which is pretty significant. If you have two mid-tier teams playing, it's a total coin toss. And the reason why that is, is being better at hockey helps you less than being the best at any other major sport. Like if you're the best basketball player, you're probably going to win that game. That's just kind of how basketball works. If you're the best hockey player, there's just so many things the other team's allowed to do to reduce your advantage and to make it so like, okay, we're both just, whacking pucks back and forth, and we're going to see who gets the bounces. And I think the gambling community doesn't like betting on coin tosses. They like there to be some thought and strategy put into that. And as gambling becomes an increasingly salient part of the North American sports experience, we might see some pressure being put on the league to allow the best teams to be the best. Like we, we like goodness to be rewarded. Uh, This goes back to, this is not a recent phenomenon. Mario Lemieux famously calling uh, the league a garage league because People, other teams were just allowed to do all kinds of stuff to him. That even though he was arguably the best player ever, you could just neutralize his greatness in all kinds of illegal ways, and it was just allowed because I don't know. That's the weird kind of uh, talent socialism the league likes to imply. Is let's let's just even the the playing field. Um, I don't know. It's a it's not phenomena. Man, should should I have any faith that that gambling is going to help, or am I totally off my rocker on this one?
2: um oof. that's tough because like in theory if you're gonna bet on sports you would like to be able to bet on sort of predictable kinds of things mm-hmm. um but because be right because hockey sort of ruled by chaos more than other sports i think having that like gambling focus oh that's tough because like how who's i don't know who's to say that
0: who is to the say? decisions
2: that Who's to say that, like, the decisions you make if you're putting money down on a particular game uh, aren't going to be influenced by this multitude of external factors that, like, you know, the scoreline can't really take into consideration. Like, you can't you can't say that unless... I, I don't know, unless you say, like, they can't take into consideration potential blown penalty calls or whatever. Like, that's not part of how that works. Whereas, like, in basketball and football like penalties are pretty like football especially penalties are generally pretty clear I mean sometimes there's like a pass interference that makes no sense but but they're pretty clear and when you see it you kind of know what it is and everyone can agree on that um I totally agree and I think that that has less of an impact yeah that's a tough one um maybe when people start losing money like big money on the hockey because of it maybe that'll start to change things I don't know
0: Maybe I I don't even I'm not even hundred percent sure what to root for because as much as I enjoy greatness being allowed to flourish, it is also a lot of fun to root for an underdog. As frustrated as I was uh, the year before last to watch the Dallas Stars um, get through the Avalanche and the the Golden Knights, I loved cheering for those other teams in the late '90s who uh, were able to get past stacked Stars and Avalanche teams. Those were some of the funnest hockey that I have ever cheered for. Was watching my underdogs. Um, And I think you'll still, it's still hockey. It is an inherently chaotic sport. And also, I don't know if I'd say more so than than other sports, but I will say there is actually, the intangibles are a lot more tangible than uh, they maybe get credit for. Is things like trying really hard, playing pretty. Yeah, really just trying your ass off and using the smart strategy is still going to be things that less talented teams can use to defeat Good teams, and I want to see that. I I like seeing the team that tries the hardest win. That's a lot of fun for me. And I totally, Avery, I agree with you. This is all about entertainment. But I don't just want to watch, uh, you know, stick handling competitions back and forth. I like a little bit of grit and jam and hockey. I just don't like the cheating. There's one thing: if you're like throwing a hit or closely checking a player, but you shouldn't just be allowed to trip and hook the other team's best player all game long. So, I don't know. I'm glad it's getting talked about at least. I hope it gets some attention. And I hope the NHL gets some new blood in hockey ops. Um, That pretty much wraps up my thoughts uh, on hockey. Unless anybody wants to talk about hockey in Quebec, the premier of uh, Quebec just met with Gary Bettman. Um, Anyone have any thoughts on hockey in Quebec? Is that uh, really going to happen or is it just obviously going to be Houston?
1: Right now, I don't think, I really don't see Quebec getting a team before Houston right now. I think Houston is in line next and then maybe Quebec. Um, I don't really think right now the market right there is um, play, in the league right now is eyes to go to Quebec. I think it is Houston uh, right now. But I think eventually relocation could be a case to give Quebec a team. But I will say as much. I don't think it'll be the Coyotes going to Quebec. They're, the Coyotes' ownership in the NHL are going to try and exhaust every resource and every plant in Arizona before they even consider moving. And that might take a few more years. So I think it'll be a, a different team that gets relocated to Quebec if that does indeed happen in the future.
0: I would have agreed with you uh, not too long ago, but their arena problems are pretty significant. And um, also I wonder how much longer Gary Bettman's going to be on the job. Uh, not just because of recent uh, issues with obviously the Blackhawk story, but he's just been at the job for a really long time. He's filthy, stinking rich. Um, it's possible that he might, Nah, even as I'm saying that, I think he hasn't hinted at that. I think he's got a few more years to go, and you're right; he does have a lot of ego invested in the uh, Coyotes staying right where they are. But they, if they have no arena, that's why the you know that that's caused teams to move before not having an arena. I don't know, Megan. Would you even like to see hockey in Quebec, or do you care?
2: Uh, I think it'd be good. I don't know. I think it'd be better to have another team maybe in Quebec. I think it'd be an okay thing. Um, the thing that, about that whole discussion I don't understand is. The idea of, like, getting more Quebec-born players in the NHL, like, that's dumb. Um, <laughs> the, like, you can have another professional team. I don't even care. But, like, I, you can't control. This is not, like, the original six era where, you know, Montreal got, like, first right on all the French-speaking players. Like, you can't do that anymore. So, no. Um, but I do think, like... I think Avery's probably right. I think Houston will probably end up with a team before Quebec, but I also think whatever team ends up in Houston, I think that's going to be a relocation as well. I don't think that's going to be an expansion. Um, i I there comes a point where you can't have a 36 or 38 team
0: pro league. Like that's too, uh,
1: that's unreal. Right. So it'll be a relocation.
0: relocation, I don't think it would be, I don't think another expansion team is on the dock at any time soon, but relocation is a constant looming threat for a few different franchises. So
2: Yeah. And and I think if if it's a team, I I think if the Coyotes end up getting relocated, I think they'll end up in Houston. I think that's going to be probably the most likely uh, thing because now that they've got this 32nd team, right in in the league now that that's there and you've got your conferences are balanced and that sort of thing i think they're going to try and keep that as best as possible so if there is going to be a relocation it'll be an eastern team then that
1: goes to quebec city i do not yeah. mention mother coyotes they're considering playing in chase
0: field for next season well interesting that sounds like a good consideration we'll see we'll see what happens i'm surprised that the nhl doesn't bump them more but I guess they, they're not good right now. Like I love what their GM's doing. He's doing a fantastic job of just absolutely loading up on draft picks, but uh I don't know that they're quite ready for prime time. Um all right, that wraps up my hockey questions. I thought we would uh finish with a fun round of highly personal questions. Oh <laughs> god. <laughs> <laughs> this is a uh, time to get to know your podcasters. All right who who would like to go first for a highly personal question.
2: Can I hear the question before
0: uh... That sounds like you're volunteer. You can hear the question sure. and you answer let's, it And here's deal. there's it. only one rule you have to answer. You're allowed to lie. If the if the okay. truth makes you feel uncomfortable, you can make something up, but there's no passing. All
2: right, All right
0: Megan. Highly personal question for you: Who is the most problematic person you've ever been attracted to?
2: Oh no, that's a terrible question.
0: Um, <laughs> Young Stalin. Young Stalin was a looker.
2: Young Stalin. Do you know who else was a looker? Young Freud. Uh, oh, that was a co- look him up. Um, you yeah. know who's
0: surprisingly good looking? Young <laughs> Richard Nixon. <laughs>
2: that's true. That is accurate. Yeah. Oh, most problematic. That's tough. Um, I don't know. Um, let me think on that for just a
1: second.
0: All right, Avery, do you have an answer chambered? Problematic.
1: Attracting, that, <laughs> that's a. I've never considered that before in my life. Who's problematic? That I'm attracted.
0: Who okay, is, wow. I'm, I'm going to answer it. And while you, well, you, well, I answer it slowly, you guys can think about yeah. it. Okay. I have two answers, and uh, depending on the makeup of our audience, you should find at least one of these uh, problematic. Uh, Candace Owens and AOC are both stunningly gorgeous. They are both absolute rockets. So no matter what your politics are, or perhaps you should be offended by <laughs> even commenting on the looks of, uh, you know, respect, well, again, you should probably think at least one of these people are respected political thinkers, yet I w- it would be inhuman not to notice. They're both that good looking. I think they're, yeah, both absolute rocket ships. So uh, there you go. Candace Owens and AOC. Um, I think
2: I'm going to have to say Mark Wahlberg.
0: Is, oh, he did commit a hate crime. He yeah, did. I think
2: that's, that's a, I think that's the one I got to go with. I think it's got to be Mark Wahlberg.
0: I'll give you that. I might be tempted then to, to go with old Mel Gibson. I think he's aging very well. But um <laughs> also yeah. yeah that's yeah that works too <laughs> i'm not even saying young i'm going with old like mel gibson <laughs> this avery do you have an answer yet or would you like to make one up all right I, I'll, you know what she I was
1: one of my my, my when my when my friends were like 18 19 years old there's one that she's problematic now is very problematic she still is now it was jenny mccarthy oh yeah
0: she is yeah. Yeah.
1: She's very problematic he's very problematic but wasn't but to it a teenage boy.
2: The whole doctor's like the autism and vaccines, wasn't that her?
0: Yeah, vaccines called yeah. autism. Yeah. <laughs> she well, was, uh, yeah, she was the tip of the spear on that one.
2: Fun fact she is also uh, Mark Wahlberg's sister in law. So there you go. Yes. Yeah. Oh, get out of town. Yeah, she's married to Donnie Wahlberg, which, you know, is yeah. issues in and of itself. I was <laughs> not aware of that.
0: Okay, um uh, yeah, I'm gonna skip that question and there there's two more. We got three. Okay, but, Megan, you may have heard this question before. If you could hunt, kill, cook, and eat one celebrity, who would it be?
2: Why why? Why
0: <laughs> you're like, in a survival situation and you have to hunt, kill, cook, and eat one celebrity, who would it be? It's a good question. Thank you. I pride um, myself on the excellence of my highly personal questions.
2: So this is, this is clearly not like most dangerous game territory where we're just hunting for sport. There's like a utilitarian purpose.
0: There is a utilitarian here. purpose. You're in your a okay. survival situation.
2: Um, okay. I think, I don't know. It's a good question. There's like All a lot right, of ways you can go with this. I yeah. I have an answer. I have an answer. Okay, Based you have on, an uh, answer. Okay. Yeah, it's because it's. Uh, I'm gonna. It's because of Taylor Swift. I'm gonna say Jake Gyllenhaal because I feel like it's a good balance between like, you know, I, su- I suppose like body composition is a good balance. Like you get the protein that you need, et cetera, et cetera. And also, as it stands right now in sort of the the the, the zeitgeist, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal seems a little bit like a person who we'd need to stop talking about. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone. I didn't. Is and he
0: problematic? I didn't even know he's,
2: that. He's not super problematic in like the same way, but like the Taylor Swift album, the re-release of her Red album, uh, yep. she's got like a ten-minute-long version of one of the songs that's like ostensibly about the breakup that she had with Jake Gyllenhaal when she was twenty-one. Um, which I was, was not, not aware of
0: that.
2: He does not come across well. Okay. In that. <laughs>
0: He deserves to be uh, eaten for yeah. survival purposes only, though. If you survival folks out there you have access to a grocery store, I must insist you do not eat Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> <laughs>
2: for legal reasons.
0: For legal reasons.
1: Avery, do you have an answer? Uh, I would say, if it counts for a celebrity, I would say I'm going to go with Gritty. Gritty looks like there's a lot none, of protein none. in there. Oh, you know. Uh, great call. It would be a challenge to try and track down Gritty, but, you know, if I could find a way to to track down Gritty and eat Gritty, I think there'd be a lot of nutrients there inside that mascot.
0: Oh, that's a good call. Because also, you could feel a little bit good about it because you know he'd eat you. That's true. You don't have to feel (laughs) like you're doing, you know, you're playing by his rules. Oh, that's a good way to keep it hockey-themed, too. Ah, that's better. My answer, I thought I had a good one, but I was going to go with The Rock. I know he's uh, beloved, but he's also... (laughs) Uh, Rich, he's had a good run. Um, <laughs> I don't have to worry that I'm cutting his uh, life short before it's peaked, uh, and he just looks like there's a lot. He's, there's a lot there. I think he would feed us for weeks. There's um, a lot of
2: protein there. Yes,
0: absolutely. <laughs> final, final question. And you know, these were. I. I, I yeah. Okay. Uh, if you were king or queen for a day, which two celebrities would you make a uh, fight to the death for your amusement? <laughs> i've got one locked and loaded so i'm gonna go first on this one hey, i don't know why but ever since like celebrity boxing was a thing the two guys i've always wanted to see fight were keanu reeves versus brad pitt uh they're just both they have similar body makeups they've been in similar kinds of movies uh that just think it would be a good scrap i think keanu how a bit
2: dare you how dare you
0: i i just want to know I, I think that would be uh terrible. enticing fight. They are both, you know, uh, you could cheer for both of them. Like, you wouldn't really, it wouldn't be all one-sided. There'd be genuine tension. Uh, you know, they're both still in shape. They're about the same age. I, yeah. They both had some real training. Achilles versus John Wick. Let's go. How dare you?
2: I, I can't, like, I can't even wrap my mind around it. I'm sorry. That's a terrible option. Um, cause one of them is going to die at the end and I don't like that.
0: Okay. Fine. Um, well, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> you're allowed to rush the loser to the hospital, but he's got to be incapacitated.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Then I can accept that. Uh, I'm going to go on a different track. Um, I'm going to say, I think, uh, Nicole Kidman Ooh. and Katie Holmes.
0: Oh, I feel okay. like that
2: would be. I just, I've always thought that was just like, that would just be an interesting. I really wanted to, I have a lot of questions like about, you know, whether they get along with each other or whatever, but I feel like, you know, let's just throw them in a ring and see what
0: happens. I, yeah, <laughs> great, great pick. I got a lot of questions uh, there also. We'll just, uh maybe won't, won't go beyond that. Great pick. Uh, Avery, which two celebrities would you make fight to the death for your amusement?
1: Uh, I would say if I want to see a uh, good fight, I would say uh, let's see, I will go Jean Claude Van Damme against Jet Li. Ooh. You guys could fight movies, he you guys fight in real life. Okay.
0: Yep. yep. I okay. that used to be as a kid. That was one of my uh, darker fantasies: was to kidnap all the world's action stars and make them fight in a Mortal Combat style <laughs> tournament, Kumite, where we find out which one of them can really fight. I think Dolph Lundgren would have taken it. I feel pretty confident about that. But um, yeah, that's a good I feel like
2: that's probably fair.
0: I will say I'm surprised no one went with Brian Burke versus Kevin Lowe. I think that's (laughs) hockey themed. It would have been a lot. No, no, no. If we're going hockey themed,
2: it's going to be John Tortorella against anybody. It doesn't matter who (laughs) it is. Against
1: anybody?
2: (laughs) It doesn't matter who it is.
0: Oh, Bob Artley. Bob Art Lee versus uh, John Tortorella for for all the marbles. All right. Uh, that uh, that wraps up everything that I think I had to talk about. Are we are we missing anything obvious?
2: Uh, no.
0: I think we're good.
1: I think so, too.
0: Avery, would you have anything you'd like to plug?
1: As always, follow me on the Bird app known as twitter.com at AVRY. I did a recent piece for SI on Stuart Skinner getting the start and the Future go goaltending. So yes, follow me on Twitter. See my game day suit, my game day
0: hat, the game day shoes as I walk into the press box. Look like a million bucks. And it is the most fashion, consistently fashionable person on this show. Uh, <laughs> Megan, you have anything you'd like to plug? Um,
2: no. Just any short of...
0: stories you'd just like to recommend we read? <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: read the painted door by Sinclair Ross. It's all blizzardy and snowy today, and there's uh,
0: uh, it's a good story.
2: Um, it's a good no story for anyone anything. in a
0: blizzard or having an affair.
2: Yeah. <laughs> wanting a painted door, like there's, you know, sometimes a painted door is just a painted door. Um, yeah, no, I got nothing. Uh, no, you can follow me on Twitter at make fourteen if you want. I don't know why you'd want to, but you can. You can do that. I'll be around.
0: All right, and finally for me, depending when this gets released, I am at the comic strip all weekend uh, opening for Eddie Ift. And I'm also producing a show at The Grindstone this Sunday, November 21st, the Sunday show at 7 o'clock. I won't actually be there. I put the show together, but I can't appear on it. So if you've ever wanted to support me without having to meet me, this is your opportunity. Go to uh, <laughs> The Grindstone at 7 o'clock. Um, also, we have another Live Laugh debate on December 5th. The last one was a big success um, It it was should you do drugs and the answer turned out to be it was very close but yes you should so if you'd like to let comedic <laughs> debates uh, make your life decisions for you um, go do some drugs uh if you'd like to be a responsible person uh i don't know maybe research that a little bit first and uh, i think that's it from all of us here at rig radio thank you for listening and a uh, reminder if enough people prove that they listen i'll release semi-nude photos of myself unless you don't want that <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want that, then you have to prove you're listening in order to stop that. So, prove you're listening. I'm going to put I'm right going to make a Twitter go. poll. Yeah.
2: I'll just make a Twitter poll for it and we'll see we'll see what happens.
0: They got to prove they're listening in order to vote. That's that but yeah, fine, go ahead. Make a what Twitter poll. All right, anyways. That, that's that's it for me. Thank you for for listening to Rig Radio and do it again or I'll blow up the world.